Here at Mercy Village Church, we are on a mission with Jesus to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. There are eight distinctive evidences we believe we will see if we are truly on that mission. We are a peculiar people, and these are the shaping characteristics of Mercy Village Church. The day was May 20th, uh, the year 2000. It was the fourth ever Passion Conference. If you ever heard of a Passion Conference, it's a, a way bigger deal now than it was then, but even then, uh, 40,000 young people and youth leaders from all across America gathered. Conferences normally in Atlanta, now indoors. This, On this day in the year 2000, it was outdoors. All these young people, and who steps to the stage but this old man, balding, uh, thinning hair, uh, button-down blue shirt, tucked in. Doesn't look like he belongs at a, a youth conference. That man was John Piper. And although I wasn't at the conference, I saw a video of the of the sermon he made. The book, Don't Waste Your Life, is based on, or comes out of that sermon, flows out of that sermon he preached that day. He captured me with the prayer, right? John Piper's I haven't agreed with everything he's ever done in ministry, but the one thing he has done for me, among other things, is reminded me over and over and over again that following Jesus, that walking in the paths of Jesus is worth everything. Every loss is gain. Every breath of my life is worth giving to following Jesus, to taking up my cross and following him. Here's how he started that prayer. Father in heaven, you know how inadequate I feel at this moment. Then he said, it is a frightening thing, as he prays, it is a frightening thing to call a generation to die. We sing of it very lightly. We run to this cross, which is where we should run. And it is a frightening thing to call my sons and my daughters to die. And I pray that you would grant me a prophetic word that would have ripple effect to the ends of the earth and to eternity. He captured me with that prayer. I know it sounds intense, but quite frankly, that is the call for every Christian to die. And it is a frightening call. Not all of us will die physically, but we are all called to die to our own desires, to our own flesh, to our own dreams. And surrender those to Jesus. That is what will be required of us if we are a people who go outward, which is our seventh distinctive. We're going through eight formative characteristics, peculiar people, sermon series. We come to number seven today. Go outward. The way we've written it is we are, as Mercy Village Church, going outward for the sake of the kingdom. We will support financially and celebrate corporately partnerships that are outside of our comfort zone, outside of our community, and to the ends of the earth. We'll share stories regularly, raise awareness continually, and offer prayer intentionally to this end as well. We'll go corporately as a church and we'll mobilize individuals personally to invest our very lives near and far as we move outward towards the last, the least and the lost. This is our call to go outward as the people of God. What we'll see today as we go to Acts chapter 1 
is that God brings his kingdom to bear through outward-facing people whose hope of the kingdom is rooted in nothing and nobody but the kingdom of God. Father, today, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven in Acts chapter 1. He has died, he has been buried, he has been raised from the dead in victory. He has appeared to over 500 people alive. They've seen the nail scars in his hands. They've, they've seen him alive back in I mean, just raised from the dead. And it is setting off a movement, or it's about to. And Jesus has these last words with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. There's likely others there, not just those closest to him, those 11 that remain, but more. And he says to them, right, he comes to speak to them, but they have something for him first. And what it does is it reveals, right, in this call, of God's people to be people who have an outward face, who are going outward. There's something that stands in the way for all of us. And it was standing in the way for them. It is our desire for our own kingdom or our own idea of what the kingdom should look like. It's our desire for an earthly kingdom. You see in verse 6, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? That was who they thought the Messiah was. That he was going to come and establish an earthly kingdom through military force, through uh, political power. He would restore the national place of Israel. That they would be freed from Roman rule. That they would establish their own kingdom and it was the Messiah who would do that. Now the fact of the matter is that one day at his second coming, When Jesus comes again, he will establish forever the kingdom of God. All things will be made new. The kingdom of God will exist in in political, uh, national, international, global, complete and utter power. But that wasn't the plan yet. That's what the disciples wanted. They wanted their own kingdom. Not even their own kingdom. They were fine, right, with Jesus being the king, right? That wasn't their issue with the kingship of Jesus. They wanted Jesus, though, to be the king of their kingdom, not the king of his kingdom. But there's no navel-gazing in the kingdom of God. That's not an option in the kingdom. And so we need right perspective. Our longings need to change and transition. Or we'll end up, right, If we pursue our own kingdom instead of the kingdom of God, then then we will trade this life, this precious life that you and I each have, for lesser kingdoms. C.S. Lewis so famously says it like this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. 
And if we settle for our own kingdom, for our own idea of what the kingdom of God should look like, and in doing so, transform it into our kingdom, then we're settling for lesser things. Jesus points his disciples to this in a somewhat backhanded way, or at least a way that seems like he's dodging the question. Because in verse 7 he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, you can't know. Only God knows the times and the seasons that are fixed by his own authority. Now, there's, there's a lot underneath that. He's not dodging the question. He's pointing them to something else. He's saying, you don't get to decide what the kingdom looks like. God does. Is God going to establish the kingdom on earth in power? One day, yes. At his return. I mean, we'll see that here in just a second. That's promised. That the kingdom of God will be established forever as a physical ruling thing. But the disciples don't get to decide when that happens. You and I don't get to decide when that happens. God decides when that happens. Jesus says he's the one who knows the, the, the times and the seasons. But he also gives us hope. He says those times and those seasons are fixed. Right? The kingdom of God is promised and coming. This is a fountainhead reality. There is no other kingdom that is fixed except for the kingdom of God. If you want to have a kingdom, then it's got to be his kingdom. Because all other kingdoms get thrown to oblivion. But his kingdom is a fixed reality. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled, this is a promise, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The waters cover the sea, right? In complete totality. If it is the sea, it is covered by water. And the prophet in Habakkuk says, The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth. It will all be covered with the knowledge, with the worship, with the glory, with the beauty of God. That is coming one day. God knows when. But it's not us to know. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. So God, Jesus calls his disciples, he says, be subject to that kingdom. Don't try to fix the kingdom to be in your style, in your way, in your timing, in in your preferences. Instead, submit yourself to the fixed times and seasons and realities of God. Let God's kingdom be God's kingdom. I know a pastor um, oftentimes during the week or on Sunday morning, he will walk into the church uh, building. He'll walk up and down the rows, sometimes even touching the chairs where people will sit. And just repeatedly from each kind of place in the gathering, from the pulpit, from the microphones, from from uh, the places where communion is served, etc. Just say, thy kingdom come. He'll pray that. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. It's a beautiful thing, right? To release our desires and receive God's desires. That's what that pastor is doing in those moments. He's saying, my desires for this church are weaker than your desires, God. 
My desires for this church are lesser than yours. My plans for this church are less than yours. And so for this church to be successful, it must be thy kingdom that's brought to bear, not mine. And so there's a sense of releasing our desires and receiving God's desires. That's what it means to pray thy kingdom come. The first step in being a people who go outward is not a physical step. It's a spiritual step. It is reckoning the reality that God's kingdom must come. That God's kingdom is worthy. It is a spiritual step of releasing our desires and receiving God's desires. Thy kingdom come. So that's the first piece of going outward is 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 saying his kingdom not our kingdom. We don't look inward, we look upward to God, his kingdom, thy kingdom, not mine. That's the heart change that then leads to a direction change. Right? That's where God goes next or where where Jesus goes next. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Stop for just a second, because Jesus starts with the who and the what before he gets to the where. He's going to talk about the where of of going outward, but first he talks about who. He says, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, will come upon you. We have a, a core value at Mercy Village Church. It's It has a root We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is from this verse. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the root of this fruit. This core values fruit is to then go outward boldly. But it starts with the root. We are empowered by the Holy Ghost. That matters. The third person of the Trinity, the helper inside of us, revealing to us the truth about Jesus, enlightening us to Scripture, convicting us of sin, nudging us in the direction of of the things that God is calling us to do, leading us outward. That, That sensitivity, that empowerment to the Holy Spirit matters. Without Him, the the going outward is impossible. But with Him, our going outward is unstoppable. That's the first part of the who, and and obviously the most important part of the who. The Holy Spirit transcends it all. But the second is you. You will be my witnesses. He was speaking to the crowd right in front of him, but that you echoes down through history to me and to you, all those who are saved by Jesus, all of us who are Christians, we are a part of that you. We are called to go outward. Go. So that's the you. The Holy Ghost and you together are what? What are we? Witnesses. We testify to the realities about Jesus. We're storytellers. True storytellers. We tell the true story of what Jesus has done and what he is doing and what he's promised to do in the future that we believe by faith is the reality. Jesus has saved me from my sins. I was lost and far from God, but Jesus saved me. And now he is transforming my life and one day he will transform it completely. Right? That's We testify to that reality. That's what it means. But this is also interesting because the word that is translated witnesses here in Revelation will be translated martyrs. You will be my martyrs, you could almost say. The Greek word is is uh, maratus. 
which is, I mean, almost sounds exactly like the word martyr for a reason. And, and he says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my martyrs to do this. Back to what we just talked about in verses 6 and 7. You must die to yourself. Some of them will even be martyrs, actual martyrs for the faith. Most of them will be. You will be my witnesses. Then he says, where? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Simply put, he's saying, go everywhere to everyone. Go everywhere to everyone, right? If if the first two, two verses we looked at are a call to not look inward, but to look upward, then these verses are a call not to look inward, but to look outward, to go out everywhere to everyone. In our lobby of our as you walk through the glass doors into our lobby if you were to look to your left you would see two signs one points towards the the door that enters into our uh, gathering space here where we worship and it says the word gather and it points in that direction underneath it says i think forsake not the assembling of yourselves together we gather weekly to be reminded of the truth about jesus to be stirred up in our affections and our desires and then we go out that's what the other sign says scatter and the arrow points towards the door uh, and it says go therefore and make disciples of all nations we go out the doors we scatter into the places we live and work and play with the good news about Jesus go outward go everywhere to everyone but if you want to talk about it a little bit more specifically which we value here at Mercy Village Church in fact we base the way we think about missions on this kind of increasing maybe bullseye type of circles Jerusalem being at the heart and then Judea a little wider out and Samaria in the ends of the earth big wide circle but this is how this informs how we do mission how we do outreach how we invest in our outward facing ministry at Mercy Village Church when you think about Jerusalem, that would have been their home. That was where they were from. That was where they were at. This is their neighborhoods, their streets, the, the people that live next door to them, the places that they shop, the places that they work, the places that they uh, go to events and, and have activities. This is where they did life normally on a normal basis. This is us, by the way. Those of us who are staying local as individuals and families and groups as a church, right? We have those these outreach events in our community, picnics in the park and uh, food boxes. We partner with Greater Barbersville Community Outreach uh, several times a year to provide food for those in need. That's uh, at, at a corporate level as a church. We are investing in our Jerusalem. But more so than that, each of us as individuals go out to the places we live and work and play. We're going outward to our Jerusalem, our place. On the next other ones, on Judea and the ends of the earth, right? There's this real life understanding, it's just reality. Not all of us will go physically to the ends of the earth. But we will be part of the going by sending, 
by mobilizing, by investing, by uh, propping up missionaries and encouraging them and funding them and praying for them, right? We, we, we go to the ends of the earth without physically going by being those who sinned. But when it comes to Jerusalem, when it comes to your Jerusalem, my Jerusalem, we are all the missionaries. Every single one of us are the missionaries. We're all going. No one gets to just be a sender when it comes to our Jerusalem. We all must go. We are all the missionaries who go. When you go to your neighbor and comfort them in a time of need, right? You're going. You're fulfilling the Great Commission. When you lift up a friend while they are hurting, in the, in the name of Jesus, you are fulfilling the Great Commission. When you love your kids on a day when they're being, um, which never happens with kids, but they're being especially hard to love, you're going. You're fulfilling the Great Commission. When you move towards your spouse to, to encourage her in the truths about Jesus or, or, or to encourage him in, in the realities of, of the Word of God, you are fulfilling the Great Commission at your job, at, on the, in the ball fields, everywhere that you are, if you carry Jesus with you, you are going to your own Jerusalem. Next he says Judea at Mercy Village Church. This informs us regionally that we want to partner with people who are, are impacting our, uh, our nation, uh, across the nation. We partner with the SEND Network. They're planting churches. They're doing disaster relief. They're ministering to refugees. They're, they're uh, helping fight sex trafficking. And on and on the list could go. The SEND Network, they've invested in us. We invest in them. That is a partnership that we have. We're in the process. We're not full partners yet, but we're in a candidacy stage to process with the or to, to partner with the Harbor Network, uh, concerned with the health and thriving of churches and church leaders throughout the United States of America as they become churches that can plant other churches, so that the mission continues across our country, regionally, our Judea. That's us, the ends of the earth. We partner with 127 worldwide. They're in Kenya, Guatemala, uh, Uganda. We, we have a focus in Uganda with Sojourn Church. They're in Kampala with Alpha Girl Care, uh, across, provi providing feminine hygiene products to, to girls in poverty all across the, the uh, country, along with um, education for both boys and girls. And, it, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We are going to the ends of the earth by sending others and partnering with others as they go. And I saved Samaria for last. I didn't forget about it. it. It kind of brings us full circle because it reminds us that God is calling us, that Jesus is calling us to go everywhere to everyone. So the Samaritans to the Jews would have been considered half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. They would have been enemies at times, like literal physical enemies at certain times, uh, points in their history. But that doesn't keep us from being called to go. A piece of our going is to go even to the people that we don't always want to go to. The Great Commission is to everywhere, to everyone. Go outward. And notice who gets assigned the task. It's a bunch of nobodies. I don't know if you've you're familiar with who the disciples were as fishermen and tax collectors and I mean they just they weren't necessarily the cream of the crop. 
But God calls them, and God's going to use them. We're not the cream of the crop. I know I'm not, but God has called me. But it gets even crazier, because he doesn't just call them, but he leaves them alone, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Just like that, he's gone. He doesn't even give them a playbook, really. I mean, you could argue that the Bible's a playbook, but not all of it's written yet. A lot of it will be written by these dudes and others who will who will come along and join them in ministry. He didn't give them like any diagrams. He didn't. They didn't have any Excel sheets. He didn't give them a map, right? He says, "Go, make disciples. Go with the authority of the Holy Spirit. Be my witnesses." Tell my story to everyone, everywhere. And then he leaves. And he's gone. (laughs) And they're left with the mission. And we still have the mission today. It is our mission. He leaves it to us. But here's our hope. The mission isn't easy. Again, I, I said something similar last week. If you see this as an easy task, then you're not understanding that. In fact, the disciples will prove that. The apostles will prove that as they go out in ministry facing death to minister for the sake of the kingdom. But watch this. While they were, this is verse 10, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will be back, making all things new, right? And making that earthly kingdom what as the disciples in the very beginning were longing for. He will solidify the coming kingdom. We're called to do the work of the kingdom. But he, Jesus, will fulfill it. We're not called to fulfill it. We're not called to make it perfect. We're not called to to tie a bow on it. We're just called to do the work and Jesus will fulfill it. He's coming back. We work to build outposts. Little outposts, right? Think about your own heart first. That's an outpost of the kingdom of God. We read our Bibles, we pray, we, we remember the promises of God, we meditate. Sometimes maybe we fast and we, we, uh, we tra- traffic in uh, the, the music and the memorization and the promises of God. And in our hearts becomes this outpost for the kingdom of God. It's not the full kingdom of God, it's an outpost of the kingdom of God. In our homes, right, as we invite people in, as we extend hospitality, as we welcome neighbors, as we love others, we're building outposts of the kingdom. In our families, as we disciple our children, and as we love our spouses, we are building outposts of the kingdom. In our neighborhoods, as we uh, meet the needs of our neighbors, and as we share life with our neighbors, we can build outposts of the kingdom of God on our ball teams with the marginalized and the neglected in our communities. And to the ends of the earth, we are building outposts of the kingdom of God. We were just in Maine for summer vacation. We went with my mom. That's her birthplace. And 
It's the first time we traveled back, and she's fixated with lighthouses. And we saw a, a bunch of lighthouses, and we didn't even begin to scratch the surface. There are so many lighthouses in Maine, it's it's ridiculous. But but when I was there, something struck me as we were on some boats and as we drove past some of these lighthouses. I'd always seen them for one of the things that they are. There are these warnings of the rocks. That that you steer clear of this area or you're going to crash your boat. And that's true. That's what they do. And there's a piece of us, right? As we build these outposts of the kingdom, a piece of that is warning others. You're on a pathway to destruction unless you repent and turn to Jesus. Be warned. Watch out for the destruction. We, we in that way, do the work of, of, an, of a lighthouse as these outposts to the kingdom. But there's another thing that I noticed many of these lighthouses do. They're not just warning us. <laughs> They're not just warning of the rocks. They're inviting you to find a safe harbor. They're inviting you into a safe place. We're building outposts like that as well. Safe places where the battered and the bruised and the broken of this world can come and receive life everlasting through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We build outpost after outpost after outpost locally and to the ends of the earth. That's what we're called to do, but it is Jesus who will bring the kingdom to full reality. All we can do, and even and even that we have to have his power to do, all we can do in his power is build outposts. He will one day bring full reality to the kingdom of God. Revelation 21 verses 5 and 6, And he who was seated on the throne, Jesus is as a picture into the future, said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the promise to come. Jesus will make all things new. The knowledge of God, the beauty of God, the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. There is a beautiful reality coming. The full uh, um, manifestation of the kingdom of God. The earth turned into one giant outpost. not No longer just a bunch of little outposts, but one giant uh, manifestation of the kingdom of God, all things made new. And look who's there. Revelation 7 verse 9, after this I looked at this manifestation, this eternal reality brought to bear the kingdom of God and its fullness. I saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth standing before the throne. Jesus will bring it to full reality. And there before the throne and before the Lamb, and they're clothed in white robes. You'll be there, child of God. I'll be there, child of God, with palm branches in our hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus, and all the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures 
And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Thy kingdom come becomes thy kingdom has come. (laughs) And that's beautiful. For now we build outposts. But one day the full reality of the kingdom comes. What a day that will be. This is the kingdom of God. Full stop. So to refresh, we're called to change our perspective. That's what we saw in the first two verses. Not to look up, uh, not to look inward, but to look upward, saying, Thy kingdom come. And we're called to change our direction. No longer uh, going inward, but instead going outward. To Jerusalem and Judea and the ends of the earth. And in that we have hope. Fixed reality hope. Fullness of the kingdom of God will one day be brought to bear by Jesus. So don't give up. As you're going outward and you get weary. As you're trying to pray thy kingdom come and you're just you're struggling to believe it. Don't give up. Instead, look up. It's his power or it's nothing. And I know look up was the end of two of the things I said. That's intentional. We did that for a reason because it's all about Jesus. It is 100% about Jesus. We like to say Jesus came because from our perspective, Jesus came. But from heaven's perspective, Jesus went. From heaven's perspective, Jesus is going outward. And he's not just going outward. He's going outward saying, thy kingdom come. He sets the example for us. John 6, 38 For I have come, these are Jesus' words, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, from heaven's perspective, goes outward, saying, Thy kingdom come. And this becomes really, really good news when you look at what the will of the Father was. What it means for his kingdom to come. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul helps us understand. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. When Jesus' kingdom is brought to bear, sinners become winners through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If you're not a Christian, Jesus, the very Son of God, God with skin on, lived on this earth a perfect life. And at 33 years old, he died a perfect death on behalf of sinners like me and sinners like you. He gave blood out of his hands and out of his feet. And the Bible is clear that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. You can have your sins forgiven today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You can be made part of the family of God and the kingdom of God becomes a promised reality for you in the future and one that you can begin participating in now as we, the people of God, build outposts of the kingdom where we live, work, and play. If you're not a Christian and you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, please talk to me following this sermon. I'd love to I'd love to to share with you what it means to become a Christian and talk with you about how you can become one. Saints, right? We call what Jesus did when he went outward from heavens saying thy kingdom come. We call that the incarnation. Jesus goes outward from heaven Setting up an outpost of the kingdom on earth. 
He becomes this supernatural kingdom reality with skin on. He is incarnate. God with us. Might we, like Jesus, live incarnationally? Might we go outward? My first question would be, what is your Jerusalem? And how are you going there? Right? Where is it that you're living and working and playing? Name it. Right? Write it down. Don't just, don't just assume it. Who are the people? Where are the places? The least, the last, and the lost around you that you interact with on a daily basis. What's your Jerusalem? Define it in your mind and in your heart. Start praying for those people, building into those people. Second, what about the rest of the bullseye? Right? Like if you kind of go out, Jerusalem, Judea, and then the ends of the earth. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Those are Jesus' words. Who will go? Who will go to the nations? Maybe you're listening to this and God is going to lead you to go to the nations. How beautiful that would be. But if you aren't going, how are you sending? How are you investing in the ends of the earth, in Judea, in Samaria, being reached with the gospel of Jesus? For this to happen, God must change our hearts from being our kingdom come centered to being thy kingdom come centered. John Piper says it like this. This is what I'm praying is happening in the lives of people right now at Mercy Village Church. John Piper says, God is closing in on some of you. He is like the hound of heaven who means to make you far happier in some dangerous and dirty work. Missionaries and ministers of mercy don't come from nowhere. They come from people like you stunned by the glory of God and stopped in your tracks with the realities and the beauties of Jesus. And sometimes it happens when you are going in exactly the opposite direction. We must first see the beauty of God's kingdom, see the beauty of Jesus, and become people who no longer say, My kingdom come, but instead say, Thy kingdom come. What does it look like for you in your life to say, thy kingdom come. Is there something you need to let go of? Something you need to pick up? Some way you need to realign your life or your, your wallet or your habits? What is it? The homework this week is very simple. Every day this week, before anything else, as soon as your eyes open up, look to heaven and pray three words. Thy kingdom come. Pray that God will show you what that looks like in your life. Can you imagine if everybody listening to this sermon would begin to pray that? A heartfelt prayer daily, thy kingdom come? What God would do through us? It'd be extraordinary. That's your homework. For the next week, every day, thy kingdom come. Pray that prayer. God brings his kingdom to bear through outward-facing people whose hope of the kingdom is rooted in nothing and nobody but the king of the kingdom. So might we, the cry of our hearts and the work of our hands, declare thy kingdom come. Father, I, thy kingdom come. In this place right now, thy kingdom come. In the hearts of your people, thy kingdom come. Through the work of Mercy Village Church, thy kingdom come. In my home, 
with the Bokel family, thy kingdom come. In my neighborhood, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our homes, thy kingdom come. Might you do a work in our hearts that makes us desire more and more and more and eventually nothing else but thy kingdom come. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.